Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. Whoa, can you believe it? We are uh, actually a week away from a presidential election here in the United States of America. It's a very tumultuous time, to say the least. And I just hope that this is one of the few moments in your week where you're not tuning into politics, where you're not worried about the future of not only America, but perhaps the entire world. In fact, I think what I love most about beauty is the way that it brings us out of ourselves and out of time. And, you know, today it's interesting because so often we have the privilege of sitting down with artists. Like the last couple of weeks, I got to sit down with Sarah Kroger and PJ Anderson. And there's been some amazing artists all throughout the season so far. Jay and Joe and Josh Wilson, even that special bonus episode with Bear Reinhardt from Need to Breathe. Like this has been a great season for artist interviews. But today... I get to sit down with someone who's less of an artist and more of a lover of beauty. One of our regular contributors, of course, Father Ryan Adorjan. Today, we talk about the danger of thoughtlessness, which is really apropos given the fact that we are one week away from this election. But more important than that, it's really, really key to let our encounters with beauty lead us with a hunger or really leave us with a hunger for the truth. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. The the danger of thoughtlessness is to never consider what is true, to never think more deeply, not just about facts, right? Not just about even uh, agendas or campaigns or whatever you want to call it, the things that we're debating in the public square right now. Most importantly is wisdom, right? And, And really the love of wisdom, which is what we call philosophy. So today's conversation with Father Ryan is really an introduction to the importance of thought, the importance of thinking clearly, understanding the privilege that it is to have a human intellect, and then to be able to sift through all of the mess that is our world, to find the truth, to uncover it, and then to live our lives according to it. So I cannot wait for you to enjoy this really I would say challenging conversation more than anything, but one from somebody who really, really gets it, not just because he's studied it, but because he's lived it. And so much of Father Ryan's story is in fact one encounter with beauty after another, leading him more deeply into the truth, which is ultimately what Love Good is all about. So sit tight, get ready for your heart and your mind to be stretched as always. And before I come back and sit down with my good friend, Father Ryan, please enjoy this little excerpt of Don't Know Who I Am from Sleepless Nights, the 2016 album from Rebecca Rubion. Black hole in my heart, black hole in my favorite sweaters to cheat up. Though I'll try, I'm just stitching my scarlet letters. Someone call, someone call. Someone call I don't know who I am at all Someone 
The view taken of a university in these discourses is the following, that it is a place of teaching universal knowledge. This implies that its object is, on one hand, intellectual, not moral, and on the other, that it is the diffusion and extension of knowledge rather than the advancement. If its object were scientific and philosophical discovery, I don't see why universities should have students. If religious training, I do not see it can be the seat of literature and science. Such is a university in its essence and independently of its relation to the church. But practically speaking, it cannot fulfill its object duly, uh, its object duly, such as I have described it without the church's assistance or to use theological terms, the church is necessary for its integrity. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, Father Ryan Adorjan. Hello. You ever um, read the idea of a university by Cardinal Newman? Oh, yeah. I have not. That's the most of it I've ever read in my entire life. Are you the, serious? The first paragraph and a half. Are you serious? And today we thought we would jump into maybe not specifically Newman's idea of education, but what does it mean to educate in a world that's gone crazy? And what is the, even the influence crazy. of education on culture? Like, let's be honest. These are crazy times. When we recorded this podcast, it was August. Oh, it was July? It was June, wasn't it? It was early summer when we recorded this episode. Jimmy, what day is it? And this episode is coming out, <laughs> well, post-election, which is crazy. I mean, we're sitting here hoping- This one's coming we'll out post-election? Yeah, something meaningful to say. No, you're right. It's right before, and this will probably be an October episode, which is super strange. What do you think is going to happen? Who's going to be our president? All I know is that my kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> and so, any day now, Lord, you just come get me. Come on, man. That doesn't make headlines. Everybody's got a prediction. I'm not a man of headlines. <laughs> I'm a man of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit yeah. of God. Yeah, well done. It yeah. has been so fun having you back, Father Ryan. I mean, the world, I don't know. I've always been a pretty hopeful, optimistic guy. It's not yeah. easy for me to slip into despair, pessimism. I'm like a built-in, sanguine American puppy dog. I'm just like ready to go all the time and to find the good in things. Yeah. It's been a little hard for me as of late. It's difficult. It's difficult, especially as we see, in many ways, the very processes that are meant to protect mm. order, protect the American way of life. Those very processes kind of become the agents of discord and disunity and, yeah. and scariness, really. Of course, we had, excuse me, uh, earlier we had riots, we had all this stuff, and now we have... Well, we can't really say what we have now because we've already given it away that we're recording this <laughs> several months in advance. Come on, give us your prediction. Be a prophet. But honestly, I mean, obviously it's going to be the same old infighting, you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's going to be such a desperate attempt mm. on both sides. Yeah. There's going to be a, and, and I, I don't know. I don't know. Even that word desperate, like there is so much tension and so much desperation in the culture right now. You know, even right before COVID-19, I began to notice all these studies that were coming out about cultural anxiety and how at any given year, you could be guaranteed that particularly young people would be 40% more anxious than they had been a year prior. Hmm. And this is all before the world shut down, all before, you know, we were dealing with a pandemic and riots and a presidential election. And yet all that kind of brought it to the surface, you know, 
And I do wonder sometimes if our age hasn't sort of lost its head. In part, if not primarily due to the lack of great education. I mean, I grew up mostly in public schools. And then at a certain point was in Catholic schools and then went to one of the most secular schools in the country, Vanderbilt, you know, for college. And I don't know, like I knew how to play the game. I knew how to make the grades. I knew how to please the professors. I did not know how to think. Yeah. What is the point of education if not to teach us how to think? No. (laughs) Newman would say, you're almost there. Well, what do you say? I have no idea. But the point of education, to teach how to think, no. The point of education is to teach how to be. The point of education is to provide a worldview. The point of education is to bring all things together. Mm. Newman envisions the university, uh, the kind of great, I guess, image is the the wheel with the various spokes and the various disciplines on it, such that if you remove one, the whole thing unravels and comes undone. That the great disciplines of study, you, you have to have, this is liberal arts, you know, that they form a foundation together. And that together, you know, you don't have to be a Renaissance man. You don't have to be a great theologian and a doctor and a lawyer and an artist and a poet, you know, and a rugby player. Mm. <laughs> you don't have to be all of those things. But the idea is that being exposed to all of those things creates a well-formed mind mm. and a well-formed and a nuanced and a not tense, but a paradoxical, the ability to hold ideas in tension and to be able to discern then from all of that what is true and what is good and what is beautiful. And even to just tolerate opposing ideas. Well, what is We've one of the great of hallmarks that. of American culture? Compromise. Toleration and compromise. You know, yeah. And we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the university has been hijacked. It's been taken over. You know, we saw this happening when we were in college seminary at, at the university where we went in Minnesota. That... Catholic institution had basically it's a diocesan school. It's not run by an order. And shortly before we got there, the archbishop was always the chairman of the board. Mm. And he, the current, the archbishop at the time signed away that position Mm. and gave the archbishop or maybe even auxiliary an auxiliary bishop a seat on the board in sort of an ex officio capacity, which effectively split the church, you know, wow. from its Catholic, split the university from its Catholic identity. And now the university retains a semblance of the Catholic identity, but it doesn't retain the semblance of what Catholic education really had been there. Mm-hmm. Now everything is about being based on the Catholic tradition. Well, we're, we're built on the Catholic tradition, you know, well, this house could be built on an Indian graveyard, but this house has nothing to do with an Indian graveyard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just because it's built on something or or springs out of something doesn't necessarily mean it's really a part of the heart of the thing that it's built upon. So now it's kind of this, like, what what are we really doing here yeah. in the name of the church, in the name of the Catholic vision? Well, mm-hmm. we don't know what the Catholic vision is and we don't know what education is for. Mm-hmm. So education has been reduced. Education used to be all about the paideia, Greek idea that just like the formation of the total person, body and soul, 
universities use to exercise a role in parentis locus, right? In the in the place or of the parents, that the university saw a responsibility to form students in every aspect of their life, including their moral character, mm. including growth in chastity, including growth in the other virtues, including obviously study and knowledge, it's right? The spokes on the wheel, huh? Spokes on the wheel, yeah. exactly. But now it seems that education, especially in the university, has devolved into ideology and the mere transmission of of data. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you said it, right? You learned the game mm-hmm. at Vanderbilt. I learned the game at St. Thomas. I mean, even now I'm wrapping up a master's in theology and I am playing the game. You're playing the game. You know, because there's just other books I'd rather read in those days than what I've been assigned for class. So Jimmy, remember that there's a certain element of humility to your education. I know. That someone smarter than you thinks you ought to read that book. I know. Time is so precious. So stop wasting time reading books you're not supposed to read and read the books given to you to read. Even if I'm making the A? And grow at least in the virtue of humility. I see the problem is I'm an economist somewhere deep down in my thinking. I'm always weighing opportunity costs. Always. I'm always thinking about what could be happening and what I'm saying no to by saying yes to this. And I know I agree there could be a lot of opportunity to grow in humility and obedience, which are kind of the same thing. In a way. In a way. You know that better than I. But the reality is like we do also live in a time and live in a, a moment in history where there's just so much access to information that perhaps even someone like me would fall into this kind of reductionist mindset of like, well, actually my education is sort of, you know, whatever I want it to be. Frankly, there's one thing that I splurge on constantly and that's books. You know, you've probably noticed that. I've got piles everywhere. We've already quoted from the idea of a university, St. John Henry Newman, everybody. Uh, We might quote from the closing of the American mind, Alan Bloom. I hope that we can jump into this John Sr., The Restoration of Realism, because, you know, that came highly recommended by Jason Craig, bonus series back in the summer. I think I've heard you talk about it. For sure. I have a thirst for knowledge, but sometimes I trust myself too much in thinking I can carve out my own path and design my own little curriculum. And yet at the same time, it's like, well, uh, I'm not a student. I'm not a professor. Well, I'm basically a student for a little bit longer and mostly just grateful to have a thirst for knowledge. Yeah. You know, how do we give people a thirst for knowledge that is at the service of, of their being, right? Of their being human, not just an excuse or an opportunity to, to one-up people because you're smart. My British friends, they can one-up me all day long because they're smart and they're witty. And, and they have that accent. Oh, they're so good. It's so good. But it's a whole nother thing to have this humble pursuit of knowledge, even in community with others, for the sake of being fully human and fully alive. That kind of sounds like Newman's idea of a university, isn't it? For sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's hmm. Definitely. And part of it too, I mean, is, is kind of a natural thing that, you know, I didn't really like learning. I didn't really want to study until I found something I really wanted to study. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so uh, to st- there's sometimes a kind of really very strong like rally against specialization in education, but that's not bad in itself, I don't think, but you don't want to have, you know, so if you're going to become a doctor, I would like that person to have studied ethics <laughs> in addition to the anatomy of the human body. I mean, not to go political, but it would have been so helpful at the initial outbreak of the coronavirus if Fauci had maybe studied economics just a little bit. Dr. Fauci, right? 
maybe. I don't see. I don't know anything about that. Point is, there's a lot of experts. I'll take your word for there's it. There's a lot of experts who don't have integrated knowledge and experience, and therefore all they can really do is provide their exp- expertise down this tunneled vision. You know. I don't know. I actually have to say the whole idea of a liberal arts education or wanting to be a bit of a renaissance man, that's always been very intuitive to me. It has come with regrets though, hmm. because I'm not an expert at anything. Like I can't name one thing. I actually feel like, yep, yep, yep. I could be the best at that. You're about to become a master of theology. Yeah. Alongside thousands of other people, millions maybe in the course of human history. You get my point though. How do we keep this value of a liberal arts and a fully spread out, you know, understanding of the human experience. What is the point of education? What is the point of growth and knowledge for Newman? Career path, political opportunity, right? Money. No, none of those things. Sex, drugs, (laughs) rock and roll. I mean, let's be real. That's what most of us grow up thinking. But for Newman. Yeah, exactly. Newman. So sit down. (laughs) Newman. (laughs) (sighs) Knowledge for the sake of knowing. Yeah. The human mind wants to know. It's built to know the world around it. Becoming more open, becoming more alive by knowing the world around me. I know myself and I know the one who created the world around me. That seems impractical while we're all fighting for the next president of the United States. Absolutely. It feels impractical as cities are set aflame as... Oh, families are broken up. I mean, the world just doesn't encourage intellectual leisure because there's just always so much vying for our attention. But would the would, would all this happen? Say that again. Would all this happen? Mm-hmm. The riots, the tensions. Yeah. If we if we saw and knew the world around us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Paul II. What was his great motto? He said it to the world a hundred thousand times. Be not afraid. afraid. Do not be afraid. (laughs) One more time, please. Do not be afraid. (laughs) It's not the best ever. You know, one of my favorite YouTube videos is is him in St. Peter's Basilica. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? I love that. I just love that so much. <laughs> okay, sorry. I love you, St. John Paul II. But he always said, do not be afraid, except when he went to Poland. Mm. 1979, June 1979. George Weigel says, they're the nine days that changed the course of history yeah. in Eastern Europe. The great trip. He said to the young people in Poland, yeah, don't be afraid. But if you're going to be afraid, I want you to be afraid of two things. You know what they are? Life without God. One of them is pusillanimity. Oh, love that word. The opposite of magnanimity. Magnanimity is greatness of soul. Pusillanimity is a minusculeness of soul. Yeah. Puny soul. Men and women in the world who have no convictions. Men and women in the world who don't believe in anything. Men and women in the world who will do anything so that their vision of world will come to exist. Pusillanimous. Then he says, also... I want you to be afraid of thoughtlessness. Mm. I want you to be afraid of people who not just can't think, but those who can and don't think. Wow. Those who don't know how to think and those who, because of their their irrationality, their unreasonability, 
they cause great havoc and harm. Mm. This is why, I mean, we saw so often with Socrates and Plato, the value of the philosopher king. Yeah. The king who, like you said, isn't just a, a ruler. He's not just interested in the economic state. He's not just interested in wars and things, but he's interested in the life of the mind and in the health of his people, body yeah. and soul as well. So education is meant to foster this. So on one hand, what's the practicality of it in terms of all this stuff we have going on? Well, really nothing at first glance, right? But, but then you can maybe say, well, would, would it be this severe if we really understood each other better? You know, And what if we began a project for the next 30 years of renewing education in this country? Well, How different our culture could be? So the problem is, and this is, I don't know if this is true, somebody smarter than me, we should have a call-in show sometimes so people smarter than us can say, stop talking <laughs> and let me answer your questions. That's what we bring in Dr. Ryan Hanning for. Exactly, so, yes, yeah. yes, that's true. That's true, that man. Next week on the Love Good Podcast, <laughs> Hanning's responses to Adorjan's Musings. Wildly Ooh. irrational claims. <laughs> I just have the sense that for us to say anything about, well, let's start a program of renewal. Yeah. That anything like that in this world today is just impossible. Mm. I really don't think it would go anywhere. Mm. But what it's going to take is the same thing that I took, again, people are probably tired of me talking about the early church. But what did the early church do to get, how did, the, how did 12 idiots spread this thing around the world, mm -hmm. you know, well, they did it by one group of people at a time. They got four people together in this person's house in Antioch yeah. and six people together in this person's house in Ephesus and Thessalonica. They had this under a tent. And then those people went to other people who went to other people who went to other people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So popping up all over the place, you see things like I'm the chaplain of Chesterton Academy. I was Holy hoping family. You'd, you'd mention that. Yes. Yeah, Chesterton Academy of the Holy Family in beautiful Lyle, Illinois, is a Catholic high school, a private Catholic high school. It's not run by an order. It's not run by the diocese. It's run by a board of laypeople who wanted a quality, liberal arts, Catholic education. And that's what they get there. Chesterton is a network. There's 21 Chesterton schools around the country. I think there's 21, maybe 22 now. And they all have this same exact mission and setup and... It's going well. I mean, the really? school in Joliet, this will be, I think it's sixth year. Wow. And last year was the first year that we had two freshman homerooms. How do we start one in Nashville? Chesterton Academy? You need to find about $65 million. That much? Seriously? No, I'm just kidding. It's not that much. Five? I have no idea. Mm. I really don't know. Yeah. I can find out for you. <laughs> but you, yeah, I mean, to make it work, you just got to make it work. And Could it's you a, incarnate it's, and be our chaplain? Uh, no. Uh. You know what? Father Rhodes Bolster... bolster I'm tongue-tied, Father Rhodes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Father Rhodes bolster. He'll be good at it. It's true. He'll be good at it. We got options. You know who'd be really good there would be Father Luke. Logan Bush. Uh, Logan yeah. Bush, because they'll be all over that. Yeah, it would be. But anyway, it's just a different kind of culture. You know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. you see like uh, different, we have different academies in the Diocese of Joliet, Noonan Academy being one of them, Kingswood, things like the Legionnaires or Opus Dei that run them. And that's kind of what we're already talking about. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of homeschool co-ops now sort of forming and being very intentional about this is the kind of thing we're going to do, you know? Actually, a lot of homeschool co-ops now and kind of re projects of renewal and education they don't mimic it explicitly, and I don't know that all, even all of them know about it, but a lot of them take a page out of the book of John Sr. Mm. 
mm. of the Integrated Humanities Program at the University of Kansas. We've talked about that before, yeah, maybe, but yep. John Sr. was a professor at the University of Kansas in Kansas. <laughs> Here's his book right here. Or not, it's not him. It's by Francis Bethel, one of his students. And he dives into his pedagogy, like his approach yeah, to this education. is a great book. It's called uh, John Sr. and the Restoration of Realism. But John Sr. was huge on the renewal of education, of Catholic education, of course, in particular. But he, he, he was at a public university, and he founded a program called the Integrated Humanities Program. And we've literally had this exact conversation on the podcast in season three. Did we? Because, you know what? We didn't jump We talked into- about wonder. Yes. Be born in wonder. Yeah, that's the motto of the program. Let them be born in wonder. And they're like all these conversions that just came out of this Hundreds of them, like 200 people. I think including the author of this book. I'm not sure if he was a convert for sure, but he definitely was. But he's a monk of Clear Creek, which is founded largely in part because of John Sr. So cool. Really? Yeah, so Clear Creek is a branch off of the Benedictine Abbey of Funcombeau. (laughs) <laughs> in France. Actually, it's one of the abbeys featured here in the... Oh, nice. Sorry. <laughs> Knocked the microphone. I didn't fall out of the chair. Uh, the, the book A Time to Die by Nicolas Diaz. Is that uh, how you say that in French? Well, Nicolas uh, Diet in English, but it's Nicolas Diaz, I think. That's Diat. nice. You got a good French accent. Oh, it's not that. Je can, parle can you do your... Uh, just... <laughs> that was me exhaling uh, for all of our listeners who aren't viewers subscribe now at joinlovegood.com so you can catch that little moment of Father Ryan Andorjan smoking his French cig uh, French cig oui <laughs> j'aime fumer j'aime fumer du matin I don't I gotta get back to my French I've been trying to celebrate mass in French lately, actually. Get out of here. Privately, yeah. Just, just to get used to the language. And, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I have love I love French. That's amazing. Anyway. And so, so this is one of the books he's referencing, or one of the communities he's referencing. Yeah. So in here is one of the communities, the community of Foncombeau, which I think that's how you say it. Mm. Here's F-O-N-T-G-O-M-B-A-U-L-T. That's amazing. I mean, can you even talk about the history of education without referencing the monastic tradition? Right. I mean, how many key moments in history were they the ones preserving all of our best texts yeah. so and re-civilizing ter- Europe? Exactly. In terms of education and the monasteries, the one word that comes to mind is the word guardian. Mm, that nice. they, in the midst of great upheaval, yeah. they were the guardians of the sacred texts. And the reason that we have a lot of the texts that we have is because they saved them. Yes. You know, where they went to great pains to copy them and spread them around. Yeah. The church fathers, for example, you know. Just had a thought. I mean, that's what we're asking or what we're inviting love good patrons to be is, is guardians of human thought, tradition, all that is true, good, and beautiful, specifically that came out of the church down through the centuries, which right now is just getting. Maybe not burned. We're not worried about losing texts, but we are losing the soul yeah. of Christianity left and right. You know, that's a cool thought that we can be guardians, not of the galaxy, not of the galaxy, but you know, of the cosmos. Of the cosmos. Wow, well said. An yeah. ordered view of the universe, the cosmos. Yes, that's amazing. And then, what did the monasteries do? Well, they got kind of corrupt, right? Uh, okay, you know, that's a different podcast. Sorry, but. They did get corrupt. Some of them. <laughs> some of them. I guess they did get corrupt. Looking at you, Clooney. But anyway, uh, what do the monasteries do? They go into themselves. They go out intra, right? And mm. they, they preserve the texts. They wait for the upheaval to go around. 
And then when it's safe and they begin establishing mm. houses again, then what do they do? They go odd extra and they say, everybody come here and let's learn. Like universities. Basically. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. You know, and these are how the first universities began. Nobody knows that. Cathedral schools, cathedral chapters, yeah. monks and monasteries, yeah. preserving texts, and then teaching texts. Okay. It's basically how it started. And not just for the sake of recruiting more monks and recruiting priests for the church. Because sometimes people reduce it to that. Yeah. And it was for the sake of knowledge. For the sake of knowledge. Yeah. For the sake of knowing the tradition. And as Newman says, for the sake of knowing God. Yeah, man. For the monks, most of them, most of them, for the monks, it's about, it was about knowing God. I want to introduce God into this world. I yeah. want to introduce these people to God and God to these people. I want them to understand. I want them to see him everywhere they go. Everything they study, I want them to be seeing God, communing with God. When we were in seminary, they used to tell us to study always with a red pen mm. and anything you were reading or studying. If you found God, underline it with a red pen. That. that you can go back then and easily find those places and say, oh, I found God in this place once, you know? Mm. In addition to seeing him in each other, in the sacraments, in creation, you find him in your study. Mm. That study is sanctifying to the point that Cardinal Francis George used to say that while in the seminary, your desk is your altar yeah, where yeah. you pour yourself out mm. for the sake of knowledge. Now for the priesthood, of course, it's got a ministerial quality, an apostolic quality. I pour myself out and study that I might be able to, to teach the people, right? But I took that very seriously. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I told you the other day, I, I have that altar cross on my desk all through seminary and I put it on the uh, altar at my first mass. Mm. It had walked with me all the way through. It's amazing. Jose Maria Escrivali said that an hour of study for the modern apostle is an hour of prayer. Absolutely. You know, and actually this might be the, the Today's best. Today's feast day. Yeah. The, what? Today's his feast day. That is uh, amazing. I like it is. I was going to say ironic. It's providential. I didn't even realize that. But really beautiful to think about. And what does it look like for all of us? I mean, if you were to give us a closing thought on how we can be guardians of the cosmos, how we can cultivate the life of the mind, whether we're students or not, whether we're involved in education directly or not, what does it look like for all of us to, to play our part at this moment in history when it kind of feels like everything is falling apart and yet we can be these preservers of all that is true and good and beautiful in our own homes, in our own communities, in our own forming of book studies, in our own tuning into the Love Good podcast and caring about these kinds of things and then inviting other people into conversation about these kinds of things. What's your challenge to the people? What's your practical, hey, just do this today and it will begin this maybe 30, 50 year process of renewal that the world and our culture right now desperately needs. You can't love what you don't know. Yeah. And the more you know it, the more you love it. And the more you love it, the more you want to know it. So, we need to stop thinking of ourselves and this moment as guardians of anything mm -hmm. and begin to think of ourselves as students again, mm. always students. And the nice thing is that a lot of dioceses now, the seminary in Chicago where I'm an adjunct teacher, we have a program called the Institute for Pastoral Leadership, which is for lay women and men who are interested in receiving a very similar education to what seminarians receive without a lot of other components of seminary formation, of course, but the academic side of it. 
And there is kind of a, a, a sense sometimes among people that apostolic zeal and the intellectual life are separated or that, no, I, I just really want to be an evangelist. Mm. Okay. Well, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, but you can't, you, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you are coming, uh, Basically, you know, we saw the lines of people lining up at food banks during the quarantine, right? Can you imagine if those people who promised to deliver and they opened up your trunk and put empty bags in the car mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you drove home mm-hmm. and realized it was empty? If you don't have anything to give, then you don't have anything to give. Yeah. So it's hard to teach something that you don't know. Mm. Just like it's hard to to publicly represent someone with whom you never spend time. Yeah, that's right. So if you're trying to be an evangelist without prayer, go do something else. <laughs> you're causing harm. But I would say at a very practical level, look for a program like that. Mm-hmm. Look for something like that, whether you're Catholic or not, whether, you know, look somewhere within your own community to find classes. Start with a Bible study. If you yourself have the capacity start a Bible study yourself and and build a little community of people around you and break open the word together. Take the initiative. There's tons of good stuff now, like the Thomistic Institute or even the Word on Fire Institute. Mm. They've got great courses there. Sign up for that stuff and really challenge yourself. Wednesday nights from seven to nine, I am studying the faith. I love that. I'm always busy on Wednesday nights from seven to nine because I'm studying the faith. I'm Mm -hmm. in the room. I'm with my kids. I'm with my husband, wife. I'm by myself. And and I'm watching a video from the Thomistic Institute or I'm reading a chapter of this book or I'm doing homework for my lay leadership class or whatever. And I know that that sounds like a huge commitment, but again, we need to move away from the idea that the Christian faith to my life is simply another piece of the pie. Mm. Rather, it's the sweet filling throughout the whole pie, <laughs> such that without it, the pie would cease to be what it is. Yeah. So it's not just like, I'm a mechanic and I'm a Christian. I'm an accountant and I'm a mother and I'm, an, and I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian accountant and I'm a Christian mother. And it informs everything that I do. But if you don't know the essential claims of Christianity, if you don't know the basic doctrines of the church, if you don't understand all of that, then... You got nothing to give. We have nothing to give. Yeah. And we actually might end up doing more harm than good. So that would just be a very practical thing. Mm. That put aside what you think you know. This is something like that. When I was doing that master's degree from St. Thomas that I just finished, like (laughs) I had to do that all the time. Mm. Put aside what I thought I knew about Newman. Put aside what I thought I knew about culture. Put it aside and let people who have steeped themselves in it, let them form me Mm. for the sake of the people. Mm. I love it. Father Ryan? Good theology is always pastoral. You will never waste your time if you're studying. You will never waste your time in terms of your pastoral pursuits by studying. So good. As always, a pleasure. Next time around, we'll know who our president is at least for the next four years in the United States of America. Well, you know, God, God willing for four years. Four years. Who can say? Who knows? Um, but thank you. So good to zoom out, remember what actually matters, and to engage in what might be a lifelong journey towards truth that could, for all we know, save a thousand souls along the way. Start with your own. <laughs> Starting with their own. Thank you, Father Ryan. We'll see you soon. God bless you. Bye. Peace. We don't need a rush, babe. 
Let's take our time Talk about the hard parts on green countrysides If we can both discover what we need to find I'll be And I will be a navigator driving in the dark And I will hold your hand if we lose touch of where we are Grip you even tighter when it's pulling us apart Let me be your guard Driving through the dark, through the dark, through the dark Driving through the dark, through the dark, through the dark Driving through the dark, through the dark, through the dark Driving through the dark You're listening to one of our featured tracks from our Fireside Sessions Volume 1, this beautiful live acoustic album that you can't find anywhere but lovegoodculture.com slash free. We've got another one of these coming soon. Volume 2 is very much on the way. For those of you who are subscribed to our YouTube channel, you're already catching many hints of what's going to come by way of another live album. But right now, I just want to remind you, all right, that Love Good is is so much more than a podcast. It is a movement. I mean, how did I meet Father Ryan Adorjan three or four years ago? Uh, it, it's because we were co-headlining a conference together. We were both speaking at a conference, w- which was great. But the reason we stayed in touch, the reason we became good friends, the reason he's now a regular contributor on this podcast is because he is aware of the danger of thoughtlessness, right? He is somebody who lives deeply the transcendentals, Truth, beauty, goodness. And I find that just constantly inspiring, especially in an era that does seem to have lost its head, especially in a political moment where we are very much swimming in the weeds of, frankly, a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of deceit. It's very hard to know who and what we can trust. And yet the truth never changes. And the truth is ultimately a person. And as much as I try to keep the veil up on love good, because frankly, when I say veil, what I'm referring to is like the deep kind of Christian imagination that inspires who we are and what we're about. I have to say, it's really hard to keep that veil up all the time. And whenever I sit down with Father Ryan, you can just hear my evangelical zeal on full display. So all that to say, I'm making no apologies for that. I love the Lord and I love helping him really chase after souls. That's what I love to do more than anything. It's part of why I'm really thriving down here in Tampa, working in campus ministry at this incredible all boys high school called Jesuit. All that to say, nothing but love and prayers from not only me and Marisol and all of us who work day in and day out here at Love Good, but really our patrons, our artists, this whole movement, right, of beauty that really seeks the truth and that ultimately changes our hearts, changes our minds, and then changes the world. On behalf of all of us, I must say to this crazy, crazy world we're living in, let's get our priorities straight. Let's get back to the basics. Let's remember the fundamentals of what it really means to be human, lest we just continue to divide ourselves as a country, as individual families, as even individual people. There's nothing that causes more anxiety than a soul divided, right? Than a human person divided with him or herself. So all that to say, We really, really look forward to many more conversations like this, especially after we have the uh, results of this election behind us. Nothing but love and prayers as always. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.
Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long-form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.